0: Welcome to the All of Christ for All of Life podcast. This episode is entitled In Search of Virtue, and it's from the American Vision series, Masculine Spiritual Leadership. Check out the full series now on the Canon app. Now, here's David Hall. Masculine Spiritual Leadership 101. Appreciate you coming back. We're glad to be here uh, this evening. Uh, Let me begin with a, a little story Uh, in the broader theme of what we're trying to communicate uh, in this series. We're trying to see a restoration of true biblical masculinity in churches, in homes, and in our nation. One of the things that is a strong tide going against us is that in our society today, unfortunately, much of the church is viewed as the domain of the feminine. And by that I mean, let me illustrate this way. A couple of guys are talking after work, and uh, Bill says, hey, uh, where are you going after work? And Tom says, well, I'm going to go uh, over to uh, the library for a beer. And uh, another guy, Jeremy, says, well, I've got tickets to a Braves game. And uh, the first speaker says, how about you, Sam, where are you headed after work? And Sam says, I'm going to church. And you can just hear the coins draining out of his reputation bank. Because we tend to think in society that things like ball games and bars and, and and working out and other things are masculine activities, but those who go to church somehow are a little soft. And one of the things that I think we can do among ourselves and you can help do is understand that when Jesus Christ came to save people, he did not come to save People and somehow make them more sensitive or feminine. That was not Christ's goal in redemption to make men more ladylike. And so one of the the questions I want to talk to you about and and have you think about as we talk principally tonight about raising our sons and daughters, raising the next generation, is a, a rather simple one. Let me ask the question, this way, has the modern church confused Jesus with Mr. Rogers and perhaps added a beard or even Mother Teresa? Uh, unfortunately, as we look around in, in many churches today, I'm, I'm sad to tell you that I think that in the beginning, many liberal churches created a new image of Jesus as a largely benevolent teacher who was always tender and always gentle and accepting. The motto, if Jesus had a radio station, might be all tenderness all the time, according to uh, David Murrow's book, Why Men Hate Going to Church. And I think that's a, a point worth considering. What I'm interested in, though, is not so much why certain Progressive or liberal churches have changed that set of expectations. But how much that has seeped into modern evangelical churches as well. Because we we find that many times the expectations of men are that when men come to a church or come to a Christ, Christ, they must somehow be domesticated. And domesticated is not bad for many of us but it is also something that may be a distortion. For example, if I told you tonight that we were going to come together and what we're going to do is the purpose of our meeting was to sit in a group of seven or eight and you might not know all of the brothers around you and I want you to share your inmost thoughts, your most intimate concern, what you're worried about, uh, what you wake up in uh, in the middle of the night with a sweat, and you're afraid of and and you now just come and pour your hearts out to these strangers and you talk to them and you share with them your your most intimate fears, your concerns, and then we'll pray together and then we'll all hug. Well, you would tell me that that that's probably the design uh, for a women's circle. And indeed, we ought to make sure that when we have men's ministry, that we not try to copy a pattern that doesn't so much work. Um, Unfortunately, many churches copy what tends to be successful, and sometimes certain successful secular models aren't always the biblical models. For example, one of the things I think you'll come away with from this session is understand that when Jesus called men to follow Him, He called them with some tough challenges, with some tasks. He called them to difficult duties. Indeed, studies have proven over the last generation that for churches that have the highest standards, many times, those are the churches that are actually growing. It is not the churches, in other words, that conform to culture that have a formula for success and growth. On the contrary, there is something in the human heart that yearns to be called to something greater than ourselves, something that is bigger than our own society or one generation. Let me share a quote with you that uh, one of my friends in this group Uh, Mike Schneider sent to me. Let me find this. This is just incredible. It's from a book, by Mark Driscoll, entitled Manhood. And I don't know uh, the whole book, but the quote was so stunning that I had to share it with you tonight. And after that, we will launch into a discussion of how we can raise our children, raise our son, and what character character expectations are given for that. Uh, This is a quote from Mark Driscoll. In his, uh, in his book entitled, Manhood. And uh, Mark Driscoll writes about this, and I just have to read it to you because it is so insightful, I think, in calling a spade a spade and seeing a situation as it really is. Driscoll writes, In Seattle, the young men are generally pathetic. They are unlikely to go to church, get married, have children, or do much anything else that smacks of being responsible. But they are known to be highly skilled at smoking pot, playing video games, playing air guitar, freeloading, and having sex with their significant others. However, the emerging church massage parlor antics of labyrinth walking by candlelight will do little more than increase the pool of extras for television's will and grace. What he's saying there, what Mark Driscoll is saying there, is that if we try to upgrade the church and revise the church in in an ever-going pursuit to be chic, then we may well do that, but that's not necessarily going to produce strong masculine spiritual leadership. So if our goal is to produce strong masculine spiritual leadership, what we ought to be doing Rather than copying the world, rather than trying to be more trendy than the latest bar or club, we should set our sights on what God tells us are the character expectations. Those should become our targets. And tonight I want you to look at a a section of Scripture that gives you some targets. But first, let me call your attention to the very final word of the Old Testament. Just before Jesus came, In his first advent in the book of Malachi, at chapter 4, the Old Testament, which had expanded over centuries and which contains a, a witness of God's working for thousands of years, now comes to this conclusion that when the Messiah would come, one of the results would be this in Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, that when the Lord comes, He would turn... "...the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of their children to their fathers." There is, in other words, an expectation, a calling, if you will, that when a man is a Christian, God will do something to give him a growing concern for his family. That's been part of the understanding of the church and her mission for centuries. Now, if you want to turn with me, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to look at a a great passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now, I've recently uh, preached on these character expectations as a calling uh, to our church and to other churches to have its officers meet the prescribed mold that God Himself gives us. And there are qualifications given for elders and deacons in 1 Timothy chapter 3. But since I've already preached on that and referred those specifically to the kind of character that church officers ought to have, tonight I want you to think of another application of those very same verses. Tonight I want you to think of how the Lord gives us a set of virtues, of character expectations, if you will, for any mature male. These form, these character traits, these attributes, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, form a mosaic of what any mature man should be striving for. And so I want us to to look at these briefly. We won't spend uh, too much time, but it's it's certainly worth taking a, a few moments tonight to see how these begin to form for us a bullseye, a target. If you have sons... And I know that many of you have sons and and daughters. The same applies because if you have daughters, then you need to teach your daughters equally what to look for in a godly or mature Christian man. And we ought not assume that the world is teaching of that or that our children are born inherently knowing that. So in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we have a set of expectations. And if you were raising children... If you're raising sons under the age of 12 or under the age of 18, and we'll talk about some of this later, I'd like you to think with me tonight how you can work to help instill these character traits when they're young. Beginning in in verse 1, the list on this uh, set of targets tells us that this is a noble task. If anyone desires being an overseer or an elder, he desires a noble task task. So to begin with, we understand that what follows in all of these various descriptions that follow this noble task are part of that nobility. Isn't that a goal? Isn't that a goal that we ought to be sharing with our sons, with our teenage sons, with our college-age and elementary school sons, that being a noble person is something that pleases God? Well, the first character trait on there is that the person is to be uh, a mature man, is to be above reproach. That means he's not convicted in a court of law, in a fair court of appeal. His character, the opposite of that is his character is not questionable. You see, character is needed. And the next uh, character trait or the next virtue in verse 2 is that he is to be temperate. His temper is controlled. He's level-headed. The opposite of that would be to be rash and to have a sense of Calmness when we're deliberating a problem, a family issue or something in the workplace or even in your church requires us to be level-headed, to be temperate. That is a virtue that we should teach as well as its companion in the the next word, self-controlled. In verse 2, 1 Timothy chapter 3, mature Christian men are expected to be self-controlled, not the opposite, which is impulsive. And those who make decisions, that affect a lot of people. Ought to be trained. And if you hope your son uh, ever to be a leader in some capacity, or if you hope for your daughter to marry a man uh, who is a leader, look for that self-control which we've discussed in the past. He is also to be respectable. The opposite of that. And we learn a lot about these. if If you make a column, if you go through and list these words simply, and have another column that lists the opposite of that term. You'll learn a lot of what is meant. So the opposite of being respectable or the opposite of being well-behaved would be rude or crude. And part of that noble task is for us to instill in our sons and in our grandsons and our sons-in-law a call to be a respectable person Next, the requirement of mature Christian manhood is to be hospitable. That word literally means a lover of strangers. Now, how do we teach that with young children? Well, if you've got a first grader, how would you teach them to be hospitable? they don't share their home, but, well, sure, they share their lunch. Or they share their toys. They have a couple of cupcakes that mom made. They'll share another one. If they have something and their other friend wants to play with it, we will teach our sons from a young age to be generous and to be hospitable and welcoming. They're also to be, at the end of verse 2, able to teach. Are you able to teach? You see, before you can help your sons and daughters be able to pass on the Christian faith, you yourself have to know it. It doesn't mean that you're even a regular Sunday school teacher. It doesn't mean that you necessarily have a regular Bible study uh, in your home or certainly not that you're a, a preacher, but It means that you understand the Scriptures and you've studied the Scriptures enough. By the way, may I say the only way to know the biblical faith in order to pass it on is to read the Bible. Don't be fooled as many people are and think you can read books about Christianity or about the Christian faith and understand that. From hours and hours of absorbing the message of God, we have a grid of truth. And if you are able to pass that on, that meets that qualification for mature Christian manhood. Next, in verse 3, he is not given too much wine. He's not an abuser of alcohol. He's not a public drunk. There's a lot of abuse of that in our world today, in our churches even. That is one of those sins that may go unchecked and not confronted. The mature Christian man knows moderation and he knows how to handle himself, and he is not uh, throwing caution to the wind. Again, he's level-headed. He is able to stay on an even keel and always be reliable. The next description of mature Christian manhood, and again, these are targets. These form our targets that we're trying to teach to the next generation and to our leaders in verse 3, is that he's not violent or not quarrelsome. Now, sometimes I think, that in certain quarters of the church, it looks like the main goal is to produce quarrelsome children. Sometimes we try to teach them to win an argument by all logical means, and that has produced a generation of disrespect other than one that is not quarrelsome. Sure, there are are always things we'll disagree about in our home and in different places in life, but one of the goals, one of the character traits of maturity, of Christian maturity, is that you're not quarrelsome. You know how to put things in perspective. You're peaceful. Also, in verse 3, you're not greedy. And look at verse 4. There's that great description that the mature Christian man will manage his home well. That means to provide, preside over that. The opposite is that the leader of the home would be subservient and not able to carry out the leadership that he is meant to have. And that brings us, uh, in, in one sense, if I can pause in the midst of this uh, catalog, that brings us full circle to what I, my concern is. My concern is that when we talk about masculine spiritual leadership, that we understand that in the home and in the church and in the public sector, men are encouraged to be strong leaders. When I study the Gospels, and I would urge you to make the same study, I don't find anywhere in the Gospels where Jesus tried to establish a consensus, which we tend to think of as probably the epitome of managerial success in many circles. Jesus said, no, we are going this way. You come, leave your business behind, leave your family behind and follow me. Jesus wasn't going through society, sticking his, wetting his finger and sticking it in the wind to see which way the wind blew or which way the popular Mass has wanted to be. He led. He had a goal. He attracted his followers and men, God calls us to do that in our homes, to be able to manage the home well, to preside over it, and that means in most cases that if you have loved those in your home, they're going to be far more interested in following you than if you have proven yourself to be a poor leader or a poor decision maker or if you have not been caring for your family. Well, quickly to the end of the list, uh, we are to teach our children to obey us with proper respect. And the Christian leader in verse 6 is not a recent convert, but he is one who has a reputation with outsiders. If you drop down to verse 8 you will see that there's a parallel catalog for deacons. There were two offices in the early church, elders and deacon, presbyters and diaconoi. And the deacons also had a holy calling and a task. I won't repeat the qualifications that are reiterated, but they are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine. That's just a rephrasing of not given to too much wine. Uh, Not pursuing dishonest gain. That means they have an honest job. They must keep hold, notice verse 9, of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. You see, these are the standards that God gives us. These are the standards that God Himself has said are applicable for a growing Christian man. These are not applicable only to church life, but they give us a wonderful, fully developed portrait of the targets. So the question I have for you tonight is can you, other than can you think of some ways to help instill these in those who are under the age of 18 in your charge in your home, but I ask you, shouldn't you be striving for these very virtues? And how well are you doing in this catalog of character strengths? More importantly, are you training your sons and your sons-in-law, and your grandsons in these specific areas. If you don't know the end result that we should have, God gives you a wonderful set here to take with you, and it is a set of traits that is good for all times and in all places. So shouldn't you be striving for these virtues, and also shouldn't you be training your sons and your Sons-in-laws in these, they form a sort of virtue bullseye. There are three spheres that are spoken of in these qualifications. The innermost circle, the core, is how the Christian man will behave in his family. And then there's a wider circle beyond that. The next level of the bullseye is the church. It is the expectation that the Christian man will be involved in the church and that he will be active and ministering and participating. And then there's a third broader sphere of society, which is the world or culture. And these three together, described so aptly in 1 Timothy chapter 3, give us a character's bull's eye. So if you're looking for a set of goals to share with your children, I encourage these to you. Let me conclude tonight with this uh, one thought and uh, a short reference from the past the thought is this. When Jesus called men to follow Him, He did not call them to ease. He didn't promise them that things would just float effortlessly along. Instead, when Christ called His disciples to follow Him, He said, Come and follow Me, I will go to death. He said, Come and follow Me and you will have rejection. Follow me, Christ said, and there will be people who will want to kill you. They'll want to take up stones and stone you. And you'll be arrested. You'll be taken and held uh, before kings and asked to defend yourself. And don't worry, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to speak at the right time. You see, Jesus understood what the New Testament church would later articulate. In the book of Romans, in chapter 12, there is a list of the gifts of the Spirit. And I know many people get often the gifts of the Spirit and spend most of their time talking about the gift of tongues or the gift of prophecy or the gift of healing, but one of the charismatic gifts in Romans chapter 12 is a gift of leadership or administration. And I assure you that that gift which the Holy Spirit gives to certain men is one that our churches need today and your families need desperately. We need men who are called by God who are imitating Christ, who will seek to hit these character targets that I've just gone over, who will lead in their families and in the workplace. I mentioned the book by David Morris, a very helpful one. He tells a story how in 1913, an Antarctic explorer, Ernest Shackleton, posted an advertisement in a newspaper in 1913. And this illustrates the kind of Bold leadership we need in our churches today. Shackleton advertised as follows. Men wanted for hazardous journey, bitter wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. More than 5,000 men applied for 26 slots. The kind of men we need today. The kind of men that I think Christ calls. The kind of men who will take their children and the kind of men who will have their children and worship with them regularly. The kind of men who will not say to their children or to their households, You decide which home we have. You don't ask your five-year-old, what house will we live in? You don't ask your children until they get maybe college age, what school will you go to? Except in rare cases, you make those decisions. All the more, you should not leave the decisions up to your children where and when they'll go to church. To come to holy worship and be impressed by the orderliness, by the power and the majesty of God. When our children come and hopefully in worship services see big, strong, tough men silently praying or worshiping God with all of their hearts and souls makes a great impression. God calls us men to these character targets. May he bless you as you seek to instill them. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Download and subscribe to the Canon app to listen to the full series today.